long. Let's turn in our Bibles, if you would, to the book of Acts chapter 5 this morning. Acts chapter 5. We pick up where we left off just a couple of weeks ago, studying through the book of Acts. And this morning we come to a troubling passage. You know, up to this time in the book of Acts, spiritually speaking, all is well in the church at Jerusalem. The church at Jerusalem has been experiencing great revival. There have been literally thousands saved and baptized. They are walking in a spirit of prayer and unity. They are busy about the master's business. They are doing the things that God wants them to do. And we could say, up to this point, this is an ideal church. This is what all of us should long for to take place at Lehigh Valley Baptist Church. But something happens in Acts chapter 5, and it's not an unusual thing. Because something we should understand this morning is that usually when a church is experiencing great unity and spiritual oneness and is walking with the Lord and achieving that which God has for them to do, let us never forget that there is an adversary who is lurking and looking for an opportunity to disrupt the work of God. Acts chapter 5 finds us in such a place. As the adversary, Satan, found a way to infiltrate using temptation and the seductive power of sin. We're going to read the text in just a moment from Acts chapter 5, verses 1 through 13. And then we're going to take some time to consider this subject, lying to the Holy Ghost. Can you lie to the Holy Spirit of God? Acts chapter 5, let's find out. Begin in verse number 1. But a certain man named Ananias... With Sapphira, his wife, sold a possession and kept back part of the price, his wife also being privy to it, and brought a certain part and laid it at the apostles' feet. But Peter said, Ananias, why hath Satan filled thine heart to lie to the Holy Ghost and to keep back part of the price of the land? Whiles it remained, was it not thine own? And after it was sold, was it not in thine own power? Why hast thou conceived this thing in thine heart? Thou hast not lied unto men, but unto God. And Ananias, hearing these words, fell down and gave up the ghost. And great fear came on all them that heard these things. And the young men arose, wound him up, And carried him out and buried him. And it was about the space of three hours after when his wife, not knowing what was done, came in. And Peter answered unto her, Tell me whether ye sold the land for so much. And she said, Yea, for so much. Then Peter said unto her, How is it that ye have agreed together to tempt the Spirit of the Lord? Behold, the feet of them which have buried thy husband are at the door and shall carry thee out. Then fell she down straightway at his feet and yielded up the ghost. And the young men came in and found her dead and carrying her forth, buried her by her husband. 
and great fear came upon all the church and upon as many as heard these things. It's an interesting story. We know that in the church there at Jerusalem, there was a great deal of giving that was taking place. It was an atmosphere of self-sacrificing and of providing for the needs of those who were without. And that involved, according to the end of Acts chapter 4, that some people who had property and houses were taking those pieces of property and selling them and then taking the proceeds from the sale and bringing that to the apostles and giving all of that money to them. And then the apostles were taking that money and distributing it to those who had need. And so there was maybe an atmosphere that was building in the church of giving and of maybe even an expectation of everyone needs to be a part of this and we are all in this together. And then we come to Acts chapter 5 and it reveals to us that there was a couple that was members of the church at Jerusalem, a man, Ananias and Sapphira. We know nothing else about this couple. We just know that they were a part of the church at Jerusalem and they based on their names, they have a Jewish background. So perhaps they were saved uh, just before this, the preaching about the Lord Jesus Christ. Perhaps that was when they were saved and baptized. Perhaps they had just been members of the church for a short time, or perhaps they had followed Jesus, maybe from a distance for a while. Perhaps they were those who had been baptized through the ministry of John. We really don't know much about them except for the fact that they were a part of the church and that they were caught up in this giving atmosphere. And they had a piece of property, a possession, it is called, in verse 1, and they sold that possession together. Husband and wife, they took their property, they put it on the market, they sold it, and they brought an offering But the offering, according to verse 2, was not the full price of what was paid, which the Apostle Peter later pointed out was fine. They were not obligated to give anything, much less to give all of the proceeds from the sale. The problem was that when they brought the offering, they pretended that they were bringing it all. They said to everyone... This is all that we got from the sale of our property, and we want to give this to meet a need, but privately they had kept back a portion of that for themselves. You read it with me. This was a very serious infraction, and both Ananias and Sapphira paid for it dearly because both of them, within minutes of being confronted about this sin, fell down dead and were carried out to be buried. Now that would sober up the church congregation quickly if we had this sort of thing happening in our services. And by the way, I'm thankful that we don't. This was an unusual occurrence, and obviously God was doing something very particular. And that's what we want to consider today. We want to consider what was it that happened with Ananias and Sapphira that was so much of an affront, so much of an offense to God that he would take their life right on the spot. Why, why did God deal with this in this manner? And, and what was going on in the hearts of Ananias and Sapphira? What led them to this place? Now, the amazing thing to me is that as I was studying this passage, 
This is clearly an attack of Satan upon the church of Jerusalem, but it's taking place during an incredible time of revival. And you would expect, okay, we are experiencing revival. We're really going to be able to resist Satan and keep him from attacking us. But the truth is that Satan is very crafty and deceitful, and he often attacks God's people even in the moments of greatest victory, they will experience some of the greatest attacks of the enemy. Now, there's four thoughts that I want you to consider here from Acts chapter 5 that I think will be helpful to all of us as we consider the importance of being truthful with ourselves, with one another, and with the Holy Spirit of God. The first thing I want you to consider is that seeking the wrong glory will always bring you into sin. When you seek the wrong glory, it's going to bring you into a place of sin. You say, now, Pastor, why are you talking about seeking the wrong glory? Because I believe that there really is no other way to explain what happened to Ananias and Sapphira than to say that they were seeking the wrong glory. Remember, this was taking place in, a, in, a, in an atmosphere, a a time in the church when many people were giving with genuine sacrificial generosity. And this had become such a commonplace thing that it had actually become more like the norm in the church. If you're a member of the church, then you're going to give sacrificially to the work of God. You're going to give sacrificially to meet the needs of those who are without. And we find that even some of those who were giving, like Barnabas, who is mentioned in verse 36 of chapter 4, and he gave quite generously to the work of God. And some of these folks had developed quite a reputation in the assembly for their generosity and for their kindness and for their, their gentle spiritual nature. And a lot of people were talking about This is what God is doing among us. And look at this person who's given and look at what's happening to that person who's given. Now, none of this is negative. None of this is bad. None of this is wrong. In fact, we would go so far as to say this is the kind of atmosphere that you would want to have in a New Testament church. We would want to have people who are dedicated to the work of God and who are willing to put their money where their mouth is, who are willing to commit not just their dollars, but also their life to the work of God. And that's the kind of atmosphere that is being described there in the end of Acts chapter 4. The problem comes in when Ananias and Sapphira thought, we would like some of that praise. We would like to be recognized as spiritual. We would like people to regard us as kind of like they do with Barnabas, I mean, they called him the son of consolation. We want people to look at us and and see us as spiritual, see us as sacrificial givers, see us as, as a good example of Christianity. We want people to look at us in this way. But they didn't want to pay the price that was necessary to be seen that way. You see, they had a problem. They wanted to be seen as sacrificial givers, but they also wanted to keep some of their stuff. And you actually can't mix the two together. And they were really struggling with this. And unfortunately, they made the wrong choice. Because they began seeking 
the wrong glory. Now hold your place here in Acts chapter 5, if you would, and turn with me to John chapter 12, because Jesus dealt with this problem in his ministry when he was walking with the disciples. And he pointed out how this can become a real problem. Actually, this can keep people from following after Jesus. In John chapter 12, that is the description or that is the situation that is being described for us. Look at verse number 43. We should back up and read verse 42 with it. The scripture says this, Nevertheless, among the chief rulers also, many believed on him. But because of the Pharisees, they did not confess him, lest they should be put out of the synagogue. Notice verse 43. For they loved the praise of men more than the praise of God. And this is actually the problem that Ananias and Sapphira were dealing with, was that they were more concerned about the praise of men than the praise of God. And we're going to establish this fact in the passage here more and more as we work our way through. But understand that if we find ourselves seeking the wrong glory, in other words, doing the things that we do, hoping that someone will notice, hoping that someone will say, aren't you a good Christian? Oh, look how committed they are to the Lord. Beware of seeking the wrong glory. If we start living in such a way to try to please men, instead of first to please God, then we will find ourselves in a bad place. Now, I want to hasten to point out to you that there's not anything wrong with positive peer pressure. We hear about peer pressure. We tend to think of that as something that teenagers deal with. But actually, peer pressure is something that all of us deal with in our life. What is everybody else doing and how is everyone else acting? And it's a good thing when you're in a place where there is positive peer pressure, where folks are doing the right thing and doing the right thing is encouraged. That's much better than being in an atmosphere where folks are doing the wrong thing and doing the wrong thing is being encouraged. That's not a place that you or your young people want to be in. So it's good to be in a place where there's positive peer pressure, but there is a danger with positive peer pressure And that is that we could end up doing something just because everyone else is doing it and we want to be accepted by them instead of doing it to please the Lord. Now, again, I want to hasten to point out there is nothing wrong with the spirit and the atmosphere of giving at the church at Jerusalem. The problem is not with the church at Jerusalem. The problem is with Ananias and Sapphira. And they wanted to be partakers of what was going on, but they didn't really want to surrender themselves to the Lord completely. Seeking the wrong glory will bring you to sin. You know, there are times when we find ourselves doing the right things for the wrong reason. There are times when we find ourselves more concerned about what others think of us than we are about how God views our actions and our thoughts and our intentions. Be careful in your Christian life about seeking the wrong glory or looking for the praise of men. And of course, we all know that this is wrong. So even though it's quiet in here because it's Daylight Saving Sunday, and I understand that. But I think all of us in our hearts are saying, Amen. 
I understand that. Yes, we absolutely should live for the glory of God and not for the glory of men. But every one of us is tempted from time to time to seek the glory of men instead of the glory of God. And when we yield to that temptation, which is described in this passage in our text in Acts 5 as a temptation from Satan... When we yield to that temptation, we will find ourselves stepping into sin because we have valued the opinion of men over the opinion of God. So, first of all, seeking the wrong glory will bring you to sin. Second of all, what we find in Acts chapter 5 is this truth. Hypocrisy is lying to the Holy Spirit. Hypocrisy is lying to to the Holy Spirit. The word hypocrisy speaks about when we feign or pretend to be something that we are not. It's when we put on a show and we act like we are something when actually we aren't that thing. And some people, and I've heard it many times, many, many times from people who say, The reason I don't go to church anymore is because there are so many hypocrites at church. And I understand what they're saying, and I actually agree with what they're saying. And actually, the truth is that hypocrites are everywhere. And hypocrites are at the grocery store, and they're at Walmart, and they're at the place where you work, and... They're in every church, and they're, they're in your neighborhood, they're in your family. And actually, when you look in the mirror, you're looking at a hypocrite. We don't like to hear that, you know, because we like to think about all those people who are hypocrites. But the truth is, hypocrisy is something that all of us deal with because of the sin of pride. And all of us grapple with pride. The person who thinks, oh, I've never, a, I've never been a hypocrite. Well, you may not think you're a hypocrite, but you're definitely a liar. Because the truth is, all of us struggle with the sin of pride. Therefore, we all struggle with the idea that I'm more concerned about what people think about me than what God thinks about me. And when we fall prey to the sin of hypocrisy, we find ourselves lying to the Holy Spirit of God. And and I'll explain why I'm saying that here in just a moment. But notice that when Ananias and Sapphira decided, and and they didn't decide this way, like, hey, honey, let's be hypocrites today. But they were talking about it. And and I think maybe the conversation, although it's not recorded, could have gone something like this. Ananias says to his wife, you know, honey, I've noticed that a lot of people really respect that guy Barnabas in the church. And I've actually known Barnabas for a long time. I know some things about him. You know, he's not exactly perfect. He's got some issues from the past that I'm aware of. And and I kind of feel like maybe I deserve some kind of respect like that. And, you know, we've got this piece of property. And and, uh, I, I think if we sold this property and gave the proceeds of it to the church people would look at me a lot differently. Maybe they would respect me the way that they do Barnabas. And then Sapphira said, but honey, we were planning to save up for, I mean, that was our retirement. That's what we were going to live on in a few years. And if you give that all away, how are we going to, I mean, when you can't work anymore, what are we going to do? And 
I mean, that property's been in the family for a long time, and it's really valuable, and it's going to generate a lot of money. And it seems like, you know, some of these people who are getting money from the apostles, they're, they're kind of like lazy. And I don't understand why the apostles are even get, are you Are you following the conversation? And, and next thing you know, Ananias and Sapphira come to a compromise with each other. Now, it could have been the other way around. could have been Ananias who wanted to keep it. Maybe it was both of them who wanted to keep it. But they came to a place where they said, we want respect, but we also want to keep some of this money. And the best way to do that, because who's going to know any different, is just to bring the offering and tell everybody we gave it all. Nobody's going to find out. Nobody's going to figure it out. Nobody's going to know. But what they didn't realize is that they were lying to the Holy Spirit of God. And this is pointed out in verse number 3. When Ananias brought the offering to Peter, Peter says to him, Ananias, why hath Satan filled thine heart to lie to the Holy Spirit, to the Holy Ghost? Satan had tempted him to lie to the Holy Ghost. What a sad thing it is when we find ourselves lying to God. Now, some of you might have thought when I asked that question, can you lie to the Holy Spirit? Some of you might have thought, well, no. How could you lie to the Holy Spirit? He's God. He's going to know if you're lying. Exactly. Exactly. He'll always know if you're lying, but that doesn't prevent us from lying to the Holy Spirit. Sometimes we find ourselves lying to the Holy Ghost and really lying to ourselves, trying to convince ourselves that we are something that we aren't, and trying to convince God that we are something that we aren't. And unfortunately for us, God knows it all. He knows what is in our heart. He knows what is really going on deep down inside. So when we pretend to be something that we're not, we're actually not just lying to the people around us that we're trying to impress, but we are attempting to lie to God. Now, I want to remind you of a very important spiritual truth, which is found in 1 Samuel chapter 16 and verse number 7. And if you want to turn over there, you can to 1 Samuel chapter 16 and verse number 7. The occasion there is the choosing of David as the next king. And Samuel the prophet had come to him to anoint him. And in 1 Samuel 16, 7, he didn't know who he was going to anoint, but he just knew that it would be one of the sons of Jesse. And when Samuel the prophet got to the house of Jesse, he saw the eldest son, whose name was Eliab, And in his heart, he thought, this is definitely the one that God has chosen. And the Lord rebuked Samuel in verse 7. He says to Samuel the prophet, Look not on his countenance or on the height of his stature, because I have refused him. For the Lord seeth not as man seeth. For man looketh on the outward appearance, but the Lord looketh on the heart. So something we need to be reminded about today is that no matter where we are in our spiritual life, no matter what struggles you might be having today, no matter how things are in your family, no matter what issues you might be wrestling with in what you should surrender to God or what you're trying to keep back from God, 
There's nothing that is a secret to God. He knows exactly what is going on in your heart. But I want to point out to you that there are many times that we maybe cover those things over. And we we might do that somewhat unconsciously, but we find ourselves at times being less than truthful with ourselves, with others, and with the Spirit of God. We pretend as if we are living the victorious Christian life when deep down inside we know that we're not really living the victorious Christian life. We know that we're not really interested in surrendering this issue to the Lord or that issue to the Lord. And we're grappling with that, but all the while we're acting as if everything is okay. So the really serious thing about hypocrisy, and go back to Acts chapter 5, is that hypocrisy is not just a little white lie that we tell to one another and we're kind of understanding about that because everybody does it. Hypocrisy is an affront to a holy God because God is interested in truth. And that brings us to the third thought this morning, and that is that God is interested in us having truth in our inward parts. He wants us to be truthful. You see, it's apparent in Acts chapter 5, verses 1 through 11, that the, the thing that offended God and that ended up in Ananias and Sapphira losing their lives was that God wanted them to tell the truth. God wanted them to be truthful. Some people have wrestled with this passage and they've said, oh, they didn't give enough and that's why God judged them. Actually, no. Uh, The apostle pointed it out in verse number four to Ananias. He said about the land, whilst it remained, was it not thine own? And after it was sold, was it not in thine own power? What Peter is saying to Ananias is, it's your property. You could have done whatever you wanted with it. You could have kept it. You could have sold it and kept all the money. You could have passed it down to someone else. Or you could have sold it and brought all the money and given it. God was not judging them because of the size of their offering. That wasn't the issue. The issue was the pretense that went along with it. The pretending to give more than what they actually gave. And that is an affront to God because our God is a God of truth and he is interested in us having truth within our inward parts. Psalm 51, if you turn over there to Psalm 51, and you might recognize that Psalm 51 is that prayer of contrition that David prayed when he realized his sin and asked for God's forgiveness. And in Psalm 51, verse number 6, he makes a statement about God which is true and is something that we ought never to forget. Behold, thou desirest truth in the inward parts, and in the hidden part thou shalt make me to know wisdom. Therefore, what he prayed in verse, the following verse, verse 7, Purge me with hyssop, and I shall be clean. Wash me, and I shall be whiter than snow. What, what the psalmist recognized was that he needed to be cleansed by God. 
because he needed to experience truth in his inward parts. I'm going to make a statement to you which I hope you'll remember and which is very important to our Christian life. There is something that is more important than appearing to be good Christians. And that is that we would be authentic and that we would not put on pretenses. There is a tendency that we have to pretend to be something that we are not. And, you know, I've encountered this. Sometimes I'll talk with people who are guests in our services. They come, you know, one or two times, and, and I'll talk with them, ask them about their spiritual condition and how we can be a help to them. And, and there's been more than once where people have said to me, I, I, honestly, I came to your church and I looked around and it just didn't seem like there was anybody that was like me. You know, everybody was dressed up and there were these families and everybody looked neat and, and they had a Bible and it just didn't seem like there was anybody who struggles with the, the kind of things that I struggle with. And I always try to assure people, actually, the truth is that there's people who struggle with everything that you could imagine, or people who've been saved out of that, and God has delivered them and changed their life. So don't be afraid of coming to a church where you say, well, everybody looks a certain way. Now, I'm not suggesting that we all go out and try to look wild and crazy when we come to church so that people will be more comfortable and say there's a bunch of wild, crazy people there who struggle with the things that I struggle with. There's a balance here. But I think it is important that we would learn to be authentic. That we would learn to be real about the things that we encounter in our Christian life. I hope I won't offend any of you by saying this. I know for a fact that there's not a single person here today who's got it all together. There's not a single person here who has reached the epitome and the pinnacle of Christ-likeness and has no more room to grow, myself included. So, So we could be honest. We can be honest about the fact that we haven't arrived. We can be honest about the fact that we have room to grow, that there's things that God is still teaching us and God is more interested in us being authentic like that and, and really being open with other people about what is going on in our life. Now, I'm not suggesting this morning that we need to get up in the Sunday morning service and air our dirty laundry about all the things that happened in the last week. You don't have to you know, get up and give a testimony about the fight you had with your wife on the way to church this morning and how you were yelling at each other in the car and, and then you pulled into the parking lot and said, we're here. You don't have to tell anybody about that in a public testimony. You know what I'm saying? You, you, you don't have to. But, but we do need to have a level of authenticity that we could go to a brother or sister in Christ and say, hey, I'm, I'm really struggling this morning. You know, sometimes when we're asked, how are you doing today? Doing great. And inside we're saying, I'm dying dying. I'm struggling. I don't know what to do next. I, I, I feel like my family's falling apart. I, I don't know where to go for my next step in the future. I, I think God might have forsaken me and I'm struggling with a really deep trial. But boy, I'm doing great. Praise the Lord. Yeah. 
And there's a place for us to be authentic with one another. To not put on a pretense and to make it seem like everything is going great when actually there's struggles that we're encountering in our life. It would have been much better for Ananias and Sapphira to have come and said, we sold the land and and here's a part that we want to give, but we really felt like we should keep the rest of it and here's the reasons. And, And if... If people disagreed, you know, pray for us because we're struggling with wanting to keep that. I mean, I don't think that anybody would have been offended by that. I think that probably a lot of people in the church would have said, yeah, we kind of felt the same way when we gave it all. We we were kind of struggling with that too. I I hope we did the right thing. I hope we gave what God wanted us to give. You understand what I'm saying? So we could be open and authentic and, and, and we can share with one another what God is actually doing in our life. It ought not to be a surprise to us that as believers in a, in a broken world, as those who still have a sin nature and who are grappling with the truths of sanctification, that we might actually have some struggles with sin from time to time. But the sad thing is that sometimes when people are struggling with sin, they feel like, I can't tell anyone. I can't, I can't actually reveal What's going on? Because then people will look down on me. Then people will think less of me. Now, a lot of that is just Satan playing tricks in people's minds. Because the truth is, if you're struggling with a sin, and to get victory over that, chances are there's someone else, or maybe several someone else's in the congregation who are also struggling with sin, who are also having some grappling in their life. So what God desires is for us to be really honest with Him and with ourselves and with others. He wants us to have truth in the inward parts. We are so good at lying to ourselves. We tell ourselves lies all the time. You're the greatest. No, you're not. You're just average Please still love me. You are. You've all heard of a bell curve. The reason a bell curve exists is because average exists. That's where most of us are. Most of us are not exceptional in most ways. We're just very much like most of the people who are around us. What's exceptional about us is the way that God created us and the value that he has placed on us. And that is true of all of us. But, you know, we tell ourselves lies all the time. We tell ourselves, you know, this, this sin will just go away. There's no sin that is ever just going to go away. You're going to have to confront it, and you're going to have to do warfare with it. You're going to have to do battle with it. And sometimes you're going to need some brethren to come alongside and do battle with you. That's, a, that's part of what it means to be in an assembly. But we have this idea, and maybe it comes from our American culture, that we can fake it till we make it. We can tough it out. You know, I'll be a, I'll be a John Wayne Christian. There's no John Wayne Christians in the Bible. Truth is, all of us are broken people who desperately need the Holy Spirit of God, and we need one another, but we can't benefit from the help that is available that God wants to give until we tell the truth to ourselves, and to God. God is interested in truth within the inward parts. 
Fourth of all, in this passage, we find that fearing God always leads to truthfulness or authenticity. You'll notice that in two places, in verse 5 and also in verse 11, the result of what happened to Ananias and Sapphira was great fear came on all them that heard these things. Now, I've read this passage many times before, but I was, as I was studying for this message, and even as I was reading the text this morning right in front of you, it just jumped off the page to me. Ananias died. These guys came in, and they wrapped grave clothes around him and carried his body out and buried him. Three hours later, his wife came in, and she did not even know he was dead. Whoa! This is crazy. And she thinks everything is fine, and when she's asked, she falls down dead. And they come in and wrap her body up and take her out and bury her right next to her husband. Well, that'll strike the fear of God in some people, won't it? Could you imagine? Testimony time. Somebody stands up to give a glowing testimony about their Christian life and their victory. And all of a sudden they just fall over dead. God struck them dead because they were lying. Because it wasn't true. Could you imagine what would happen to a church where people said... God is serious about truth. God wants us to be truthful. It doesn't do a a sinful world any good for us to be less than truthful with them about what it means to be a Christian. It, It doesn't do other believers any good for us to be less than truthful with them about what is going on in our life. And when we fear God we will come to the place where we recognize that we must be truthful. We must be authentic with one another. Not put on airs or be hypocritical or pretend that something is a certain way. Why is that? Why does the fear of God lead to us being truthful? Well, one, because we can't hide from God. When we fear God... That is, we reverence him as he truly is. We recognize he knows it all anyway. There's nothing that I can hide from God. There's, there's, there's no sense in pretending or hiding because God already knows it. In fact, the scripture says there's coming a day when he's going to make all of our secrets known. So why, why be secretive? Why try to hide? But we also, when we fear God, will value truth because we'll recognize that he is a God of truth. And he's the one who gives the truth. And because of that, because we fear him, we're going to also value the truth. But we'll also, when we fear God, be truthful because we'll see that he is God and we are not. There's no sense in any of us pretending that we are God because we are not. None of us has arrived. None of us has yet put on our glorified body. None of us is fully sanctified. None of us has reached the pinnacle of spiritual success. All of us have some ways to go. So we could just be truthful when we fear God. When you and I fear God, we will care more about what he thinks than about what others will think. 
we'll be able to be truthful about who we are, even about what our struggles are, because we'll be more concerned about getting the help that God has for us than we are about someone thinking, oh, they're not as spiritual as I thought they were. Proverbs 8 and verse 13 says this, The fear of the Lord is to hate evil. Pride and arrogancy and the evil way and the froward mouth do I hate. When we fear God, we will hate evil. And I believe that verse is primarily talking about hating evil in my own heart. So many people are caught up with the evil in everybody else's life. They're going around with a, with a microscope trying to find all of the problems in other people's lives and they're not really paying attention to the fact that there's plenty of sin in their own heart that needs to be dealt with. Amen. Let us be careful of this false standard and this false idea that we can pretend to be Christians and get away with it. A pretense to Christianity is perhaps one of the most damaging presentations that you can ever make to your children. Your children know what is going on in the home. They know what you are really like. And pretending to be something so that others will be impressed has left many children who've grown up in Christian homes with a bad taste in their mouth such that many people who grow up in Christian homes turn and walk completely away from God and say the church is full of hypocrites. Now, that's not excusing their decision because they're going to answer to God for their own hypocrisy and the error of their own ways. But as parents, is there anything more valuable for us than being authentic and real with our family and, and with those who are around us so that our children will know, at the very least, my parents may not be perfect, but they're real Christians. They're real Christians. They're honest about what is going on in their life. Fearing God will always lead us to hate evil. It leads to truthfulness in our life, and it brings the blessing of God. Now, obviously, in Acts 5, God brought judgment upon this couple. He did so. Uh, We could say this is extreme church discipline. Uh, He did so because he was demonstrating to this assembly the importance of of, uh, truthfulness within the body, uh, of the church being clean and sanctified, and that sin needs to be dealt with. But it's also a reminder to us of how easily we can be drawn towards lying to the Holy Ghost. This morning, I want you to ponder this in your own life. And and this is the invitation. I want you to ask yourself, have I been lying to myself and the Holy Ghost? Have I been pretending to be something that I know I am not? For instance, this morning, I wonder if there are some in the congregation who have been pretending to be saved, pretending to be a believer in Christ, but you know in your heart that you've never been born again. You know in your heart that you don't have the Holy Spirit living within you, and you're desperately trying to pretend and convince others that it is so. Could I ask you a question this morning? Why go on pretending? Why not be honest 
before God and others and get this matter settled and come to Christ today. But then there are many who are sitting here who would say, you know, preacher, I know for a fact that I've been saved. I actually think Ananias and Sapphira were truly saved people. I believe they really knew the Lord. It is possible for truly saved people to struggle with lying to the Holy Ghost. And maybe while I was preaching this morning, the Lord put his finger on something in your life and said, you know, that's an area where you've not been truthful. You're not being truthful with yourself. You're not being truthful with me. You're not being truthful with others about what's really going on in your life. And you need to face this sin. You need to face it head on so that you can get the victory that I have for you. This morning, if you would just bow your heads and close your eyes, whatever it is that God has put his finger on this morning, I want to encourage you to talk to him about that. Surrender it to him and ask God to help you to be truthful today. Yield it to him.